Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. It's a, it's a real joy to me to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Jin Cho. Uh, Jin and I met about 15 years ago, I had just started working for Fuller Seminary's campus in Irvine, and uh, Jen and his fellow pastor friend who were about to plant a church were looking for a space to have church, just like churches do. And we arranged for them to use our classrooms for that, and that ha- lasted for about two years, as I recall. He even opened an office across the hall from mine, so we became well acquainted and good friends. And over the years, uh, Jen and his family found their way to Holy Trinity Church, our mother church in Costa Mesa. We're very much involved, and ultimately, Jen was uh, ordained as an Anglican priest, and he's still involved in the church planting world. But even more importantly, he serves the diocese that we are a part of, Church for the Sake of Others, C4SO, as one who helps congregations to, to have conversations about race, just such an incredibly important topic in our time, something that, that the church ought to be ahead of rather than behind of. And in fact, he'll be leading us in that on Monday nights for the next five weeks. If you, a number of us have signed up. If you're interested in that, check the email from Friday and you'll find out how to do that. So it's my great pleasure to invite Jen to come and share the word of the Lord with us. Please welcome him. Amen. Let me get this set up here. All right. I think that will do... Um, 15 years, and it feels like it has gone by so quickly. Um, it is absolutely my privilege to share with you this morning God's Word. Um, God had clearly, He had something in mind for Mike and I to meet because our lives have, and our ministries have intermingled and uh, intertwined in some very important ways. And this is just, uh, I think, another latest version. As Mike mentioned, I'm standing here based on a convergence of several things, one of them being my friendship with Mike, but the other part because we are leading a conversation called that I'm calling Courageous Conversations on Race and Justice, a course on learning how to have healthy conversations about race issues in America. Um, and what I want to do today is to give you all uh, a very big picture vision of what this looks like, why we're doing this, of um, why this is an important conversation for all of us to have. So um, I want to invite you and your church right now to think about God's kingdom vision of diversity and unity, what that really is. We talk about it a lot because although diversity is valued in many different spaces in our world, I mean, you can't go to your work or your school without the word diversity being rather in your face. But I want to impress upon us today that there is a distinctly Christian vision, that there are distinctly kingdom reasons for us to be talking and thinking about diverse stories. So, um, in talking about vision, we're going to start today with the end, the book of Revelation, as you have heard. Here in chapter 7, verse 9, we are given a glimpse of this distinct teleological vision. 
Here we have a stirring scene that I'm sure many of you have heard many times over and, and, uh, and thought about of, uh, of how at the end of time, all the people of God, all God's people, and it says from every nation, tribe, people, and language specifically are gathered before the throne of God in adoration of the Lamb in worship. As they're singing this hymn of praise, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what seems to be implied, because how else would you know that they spoke different languages? I can't imagine them, imagine them just standing there, just kind of like chatting about before the King of Kings and the Lamb of God sitting right there in front of them. How else would they know? But because they do so, they sing this song in one voice, but in many languages. They do this in one voice, but in many languages. Now, um, if you've ever worshipped in um, any bilingual services, you may have actually glimpsed something like this. You will sing a song together, but in different languages simultaneously. Uh, You may be singing in English, but someone next to you will be singing in Spanish, the same song, or in Korean, or in Swahili. This has always, for me, felt like a little bit of a glimpse of heaven. And what's more, the way I imagine this scene in Revelation 7-9 unfolding is that they're not just standing there in these neat columns and rows like an army. Because they're worshiping. But rather, everyone is intermingled. People from every nation, tribe, race, and language standing shoulder to shoulder united in worship, and instead of diminishing our differences, our distinctives, this eschatological worship, this vision of what worship looks like is magnified by our distinctives, distinct in our differences, yet united in the Spirit. It is a beautiful sight to imagine. Now, I don't think we're supposed to wait until the end of history to do this, nor are we supposed to, because there is a precursor to this vision that is actually given to us, I think, in Acts 2, verses 1 through 12 that we read, that gives us some idea of how this is supposed to be lived out amongst us. Now, I need to note, this Sunday is Ascension Sunday. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. So I am very specific and I'm, I'm very aware um, that the assignment for next Sunday's reading is, in fact, Acts 2, 1 through 12. So I had to get permission from Mike to preach from this text one week early. But because of his connection to the vision of God's multicultural diversity in his church, I bring that up in a slightly different way. So in Acts 2, we read that it says, they were all gathered, all the followers of Jesus were gathered together in Jerusalem at Pentecost, obeying what the resurrected Christ told them to do right before the ascension, right before his ascension. 
And what follows is this incredible event, right? When suddenly there's this rushing wind that comes down from heaven. And then on each of God's people, there rests what is described as tongues of fire. Don't get so stuck. I come from a charismatic tradition. But don't get so stuck on the tongues part. It is the fire, the description of the fire that is uh, flicking, flicking around about like tongues above each and every person gathered there. God breathes out his spirit as fire. And I want you to take a moment, just a moment to visualize this little dancing tongues of fire on all the believers. Now, people from all different parts of the ancient world are in Jerusalem here. And um, you did a fantastic job reading that list of the nations. And the point of that list is to say that everybody, all the nations were there. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, those from Mesopotamia, Asia, Egypt, Rome, Crete, all the world was there. That's the point. Declare the wonders of God, and it says, in their own language. There is this unity that is brought on by the Spirit, even while each maintaining their cultural, ethnic distinctive. It is an incredible scene of diversity of diverse people of God, the distinctives being affirmed in the context of a singular, unifying, church-birthing moment. So in Acts, in both Acts 2 and as well as in Revelation 7, the scriptures are clear that not only is Christ the Lord of all creation, but that he has in mind for his people this great, big diversity of cultures and ethnicities and races to worship together even as our distinctives are honored. And it is very different from what is often thought about in our world when we think of unity, when we think about unity as trying to think about them as sameness or even words like assimilation, stripping away of our differences. Compare this to the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, when the people gather in a great project of anti-worship, right, or self-worship, to make a name for ourselves, speaking one common language. And it is different from how we in the churches have often organized ourselves, where it is the norm for us to worship separately in our cultural distinct, culturally distinct um, oneness, separateness. So I've had people say, why do we have to talk about our differences or distinctives so much? Why can't we just focus on our commonality? And I get where that's coming from. I really do. But the fact of this, the fact of history is that so often that argument has been used to silence every other story except for the, for that of those in power. And the oneness that we ought to be talking about is the oneness that is united and created by our unity in the spirit. 
And when we talk only about our commonalities, and when we try to worship and do things only in the ways in which we have commonalities, there's a loss. Oh, you think the multitude singing salvation belongs to our God is cool. You should hear it when it's sung together in a thousand different languages. You think that song sung by multitudes, many, is cool? Imagine the great majesty of hearing that song sung with all the languages of the world together. So as I said, today is Ascension Sunday. Christ didn't ascend, however, to sit on his throne for the sake of lording his power over his creation. Rather, Christ's lordship is an invitation for his people to be in communion with him and with one another. A couple of weeks ago, the text for that Sunday was to remember that we are called to abide with him as he abides. It's the same, same verb that he uses to talk about his inner Trinitarian relationship with the Father and the Spirit, to abide with him. We're called to abide with one another. And then the next step, to abide with him and then with us. It is Christ's Lordship as an invitation to the communion table and the way that our Trinitarian God is with one another as a deep union of difference connected by mutual sharing of one another in love and deep appreciation and adoration. And that's the vision. Now, some of you may have noticed, I keep referring to the beauty of this vision. And that's because I sometimes feel like we think about um, what we're doing when we talk about, have conversations about this, of, uh, of crossing dividing walls, breaking down barriers to cross boundaries. Um, this beauty uh, that God has a mind for us is so essential for us to enjoy. That this is about fulfillment for his creation. At the heart of it, the vision of God is for us to enjoy life as he intended, for us to flourish in the joy that he has given us. And I think this is deeply part of what he has in mind, that he reveals to us any time he reveals about what it means for us to love one another, what it means for us to be in community and in communion with one another. Well, how then? How do we do, do this? I think there's a hint of this in terms of how we actually exercise this, exercise and live into this vision in Acts 2 as well. And so we need to go back to it, and we need to talk about the fire that's in Acts 2 for clues to how we should go about doing this. My friend Brett Whitman helped 
me to see this. So let's start by asking the question, why are these tongues of fire on everyone? Now, we instantly recognize that this is a hugely symbolic moment, right? As you know, throughout Scripture, fire is a sure sign and symbol of the presence of God, right? You remember Moses when he encountered the burning bush. Not a smoking bush, not just a green flowering bush, but a burning bush. And you also remember in Exodus, a pillar of fire would lead the people, God, people of God by night in the wilderness. And um, when God was setting up his temple, his presence again would be as fire. You can read this vividly in places like Second Chronicles 7 at the dedication of the Solomonic Temple. When it says, fire came down from heaven and burned and consumed the offering and the glory of God, fire came down and the glory of God filled the temple. And from that developed this idea of the holy of holies, that this was God himself, this fire. And you had to be completely righteous and only one, the holiest designated person of the entire community, the high priest, once a year, after a cleansing and purifying ritual, after a period of self-examination, would enter into the Holy of Holies courageously, very patiently, with the greatest of humility, an eager desire to hear what God would have to say. Now, what does that have to do with Pentecost? And what does that have to do with diversity? Well, in Acts 2, gathered in the shadow of the temple Jerusalem, this fire that comes down from heaven would have meant one clear thing. It is the very presence of God that has now come down to rest on each and every believer. And because the fire of Pentecost is the very same fire that filled the Holy of Holies in the temple, this is now how we must now approach one another. Where we learn to speak in the language of the, of the other, in generous listening and in speaking. And, and we need to step in with great courage, humility. Courage is about stepping into the unknown. Courage is about admitting that I don't have everything in my control. I don't know everything to step in with the greatest humility and reverence and great curiosity and desire to hear the story of that fire that now resides in that other person. I talk about one of the ways in which privilege works and is this sense that we have the power to tell our version of somebody else's story. 
So one of the ways in which I think privilege works in our society is that we believe or we have the ability to tell somebody else's story over their own. When we're not willing or curious to hear others and their stories, that's the opposite of what we're being called to practice. That fire that was over every single person was the same fire that was in the temple. And that's what we are being shown now in terms of how we ought to approach one another. So that means our oneness, our unity, is not based on getting everybody to agree on how we all must think. Our oneness is not about silencing one another's differences as if unity is a virtue in and of itself. Unity is not. Lots of totalitarian states have unity. Cults have unity, right? But our unity is based on what has been revealed to us in trust, in faith, that Christ has indeed risen and has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit now rests above each and every believer. That there is a fire on each and every one of us. On unity, in other words, is not about what, but about who. Our unity is not the absence of difference or even the avoidance of conflict because of this difference, but realizing that existentially, ontologically, we belong to one God, one Lord. Don't you know, Paul says, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit so that now we are one body under one spirit. And that also means that each of us have a fire and we miss out on the Spirit of God when we fail to share our stories, when we fail to think our stories to be important, when we fail to acknowledge that God has vested us with his gift of God's presence in our lives. But sometimes the harder part is that we need to acknowledge that these stories, this fire, uh, these stories of God working in other people's lives, it's in others as well. And that's a theological and a spiritual problem when we marginalize the fires of some while normalizing the fires of, of a few. Our spirituality, our experience and awareness of the greatness of God, the beauty of God, is made poor. Folks, beauty is not like an optional thing that God says, well, you know, as long as you have um, my understanding of who I am, as long as you understand me, as long as, as long as you understand the right doctrine, I'm fine with that. I, I, I don't think so. I think God 
wants for us to just marvel at who he is. I think if you want to think about theology, I think God desires for us to fall in love with our thinking and our awareness of who he is. So the beauty of that vision is what motivates our hearts to a flutter at the sight of seeing the things of God become alive in this world. When this happens, it profoundly changes us. Some of you, um, and this is beginning to be that season where we're going to see, I've seen people drive out many ways, uh, many miles and hours to see um, the wildflowers already. Um, for whatever reason, we've had a very mild uh, a spring, almost falling into summer it looks like. But you've all done this where you've just stopped by the road or witnessed and driven or taken a trip or a vacation somewhere just to observe that beauty. And it changes you. Maybe it's not completely lasting, but even thinking about that, even looking at pictures of that changes you. And I think we're supposed to have that exact same sort of a reaction of what is possible when we live into this Revelation 7-9 vision. When God's people, when as, when, as, as the family of God come together and worship Him in unity, not because we have been made the same, but because God made us different. It changes us when we hear the stories of others. And it changes us when we can receive that without being defensive. Many of you, um, have you, you've seen the movie, um, The Sixth Sense? I, uh, okay, so Sixth Sense is like all about like you don't want to do the spoiler thing, but it's been like 20 years since this movie's been out, so I think I could talk about it, you know, but somebody always complains. Somebody said, what? I talked, I used the Star Wars analogy one time and says, I didn't know Darth Vader was Luke's father, you know. Um, I was like, what? Um, they got mad at me. Um, I was like, seriously, come on. At this point, it's fair game. Um, so, um, but I won't really talk about it. But there's a thing, I watched it last year during the pandemic. It was my son's first scary movie. Um, and uh, it's not that scary if you look at it now. And the, But there's a thing that happens where at toward the end of the movie, you see something that changes everything else that you just saw, right? And I think when we live into God's kingdom... Even for a little bit, that sort of change, this sort of transformation happens. Once in a while, we experience this in our lives as well. I witnessed this happen in a small group that is very similar to uh, what I will be leading on Mondays and Monday nights with a group of pastors when a black pastor, in the course of that conversation, he shared that when he got his driver's license, he said his mother cried. 
His mother cried. And we had to ask, why? Because it wasn't the experience of those of us who are not black. For she feared for his life from that point on, that every time where he might be stopped. That was his lived experience. And I watched as a white pastor friend go through a transformation, that sense of like, my world is too small. Because just that week, his son had passed the driving test and had gotten his license. And all they thought about was celebration. It didn't make his story worse or invalid, but it made his awareness of what we ne- he needed to do and what this world needed to hear so much bigger. We are made richer when we are able to have these diverse stories that disrupt our stories of our world because it takes us out of the self-idolatry that we fall into with our own stories. The fact of the matter is, very often, we're fine with receiving this fire from those that are a lot like us, all of us, it's just how we are wired but resist them from those that are different. And as I mentioned, we in the church have almost organized ourselves in this way. The more different someone is from me, the more I am prone prone to dismiss their fire. But in my experience, it is the fire of those who are different than me from a different culture, race, and ethnicity, experience of life that I have needed the most. Our diversity is literally a gift to others. So we ought to approach one another with great humility like the priests did in approaching the Holy of Holies, with courage, understanding that we don't have all the answers, and a longing to receive what the Holy Spirit might say through that other person. Now here's a hard word of truth. As I keep on mentioning, we in the church have not done this well, what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said about 11 o'clock on Sundays being the most segregated hour in America is still true today in 2020 as it was in 1950. Yes, there has been been progress, but I'm not trying to be cynical here, but this is our reality. But we're suffering for it. And here's the word of hope. We can change that. We really can. We really can be salt in our world 
preserving life. We really can be light in our world, showing off the beauty of God's vision for all His creation. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Amen.